Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Welcome to week two of our Eternity Matters series. And uh, I want to help us this morning in a very key, key morning, I believe. But by, by starting off by taking us to the year 1984. I just love these stories. They grip my heart. And I know many of us are here in a South African context. We've got Springbok rugby on the brain. But I want to throw a little bit of a span in the work, something called the NBA, basketball. And in 1984, there's a team called the Portland Trailblazers who had only ever won one championship up until this moment. But for some reason, and before on their performance from the season before, they acquired the ability to make the first pick in the draft of players the next season which is a huge win. So they can pick whoever's coming out of the college system, whoever's the best of the best out of college, they get to pick the first seed if they want. But the Portland Trailblazers, uh, they, had, they, they skewed all reason and all logic in this moment because the first pick that year for the Portland Trailblazers was a man named Michael Jordan. But the scouts in that moment looked at him and said, He's too short for what we need. So they went against the reason of the day. And they said, we're going to pick the second pick, a man called Sam Bowie. Yeah, we've all heard of him, haven't we? And they picked a man, Sam Bowie, pushing aside Michael Jordan. said, no, we'll leave him to the guys who will choose second, who were the Chicago Bulls. You couldn't believe their luck. Rubbed their hands and said, we'll take Michael Jordan then, thanks. And the rest, as they say, is history. Sam Bowie's career, unfortunately, trailed off in injury after injury after injury. And the man MJ, Michael Jordan, won six championships with Chicago Bulls. He is worth $1.9 billion on his own. And he's undisputably recognized as the greatest basketball player of all time. The Trailblazers are still waiting for their first championship since 1977. Quite a tough story if you are a basketball fan. T- quite a tough story. Maybe, let me make it a bit more close to home. In 1994, Blackburn Rovers, one of my favorite stories of all time, the soccer team in England, Blackburn Rovers, had the moment as the manager of the team had passed across his desk was a, a, a transfer request for a little-known player called Zinedine Zidane. And in 1994, the manager went on record for saying, who needs Zinedine Zidane? We have Tim Sherwood. If you want to know the polar opposite careers that have gone in that moment, Blackburn Rovers currently are 16th position in the championship, which is the second division. Zinedine Zidane has gone to win World Cups, critical claim, Ballon d'Ors, and is coaching successful teams across the world. He's recognized one of the greatest ever's. Blackburn Rovers and the Portland Trailblazers had moments that they look back on in, in despair, saying, if only we knew there was the logic of how this decision would play out, we would have responded differently back then. All that aside, is this whole series, his attempt and aim, is to help give us a scope of what lies ahead for us, so that we would not make the same error as the Portland Trailblazers or as Blackburn Rovers with something of far more worth, eternal significance. That we would not look back one day and go, if only we knew what the decisions we were making or deciding not to make then was affecting an eternity. Imagine a rope that went across this whole hall, that went from that hall wall to this wall. Uh, we just do imagining exercises here. We can't afford ropes. But imagine if there was a rope. There we go. There it is. Imagine that rope there. And so many of us view our lives and we plot and plan our lives as if this whole line is the, uh, the duration of our lives. But in reality... Our whole life is actually, that is actually not a representation of our life. It's a representation of eternity. And our life is just the string. A brief moment. The Bible calls it a breath, a watch in the night. 
And so many of us are making decisions thinking that this is our life when actually that is our life, but actually what we respond to in this moment determines the course of the rest of it. And we want to say in this series that we want to help ourselves not sell ourselves short for short-term returns and rewards at the expense of eternity. This series, we're wanting to help shift our perspective and offer us practices that help us live in light of eternity. So with that as a setup, Matthew 6, verse 24 to 33. We were there last week. We're going back to that same text to see what Jesus has to say to us this morning. It'll be on the screen behind me. But uh, if you've got your Bible, it's always good to see it there in the text. If, you, if your Bible's like mine, this whole passage will be written in red because this is Jesus speaking. But Matthew 6, verse 24 says this. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's pray in this moment. Holy Spirit, I thank you as we read your word, as we shift our eyes to you. I thank you that you are here with us. and You're here going to war for the hearts and futures of every son and daughter this morning. I thank you, Father. My prayer for us is would you make our hearts quick to hear and quick to obey. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right. Jesus and Mammon. We're going to do some work together this morning. Everyone all right? We understand this. This, is, this text we just read is in the middle of something called, famously called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But this passage is right in the middle, right in the very center of this whole story. And it's in this moment, this, this incredible moment where Jesus is reigniting the imagination of humanity for a new way to be human, a new way to approach life with an eternal perspective and not being caught up with the, the here and now and what, is, what you can see, handle, and touch. He's trying to lift their gaze to the way things were supposed to be, how he's recreating things. He starts off by saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he's re- redefining the way it is to be human. And in this sermon, it gets to the moment, the crux of it, where the very center of it, he makes this declaration, this warlike, divisive statement. He says, it is impossible. Man cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And I just want to let you know, before we get into understanding what is mammon, this is the only time in scriptures that Jesus polarizes serving God with something else. He never says God, man can serve God and sex, or God and this and God and that. He says God and mammon. Interesting. We've got to understand why. So I want to say, if you were reading in your Bible, most translations, the ESV, the NLT, the NIV, most modern translations will say, man cannot serve both God and money. 
That's probably what it said in your text, God and money, which is, which is good. But, but it's, it's true. It's a, it's a helpful rendering for our, our minds and our sensibilities that don't understand the culture of the day. But actually, Jesus didn't use the word money. He used the word mammon, which is significant for us. Because actually, this, this issue what Jesus is preaching about is not just about money. You see, money in itself is not evil. The most misquoted scripture, one of them is, money is the root of all evil. That's not what the scripture says, though. The love of money is the root of all evil. Actually, the Bible tells us clearly that God gives us the ability to create wealth. It's from God. That, that is not, so God is not against money. But actually, this, what, it's, the money is neutral until it gets into our hands and our hearts. Money comes to us neutral, and so in that moment, will our money serve the kingdom of God, or will it serve an ulterior motive, something different? And Jesus is putting it this in stark contrast, saying you, your, money will, you will, your heart will either serve God or mammon. So I want to say money in this moment when Jesus is attacking this issue, it's not just a here and now issue. He's saying this is a heart issue. It's a spiritual issue, and it has eternal ramifications. You see, what is Jesus doing in this moment? Mammon was, if you rewind 600 years from where Jesus is preaching, 600 years before that, there's a nation called Babylon. And it's modern-day Iraq, and it's the Assyrian people. And they, the Babylon Empire had, had physical representation of gods for every single day of the week. Gods who would help this thing in their lives. Gods who will help that thing in their lives. Gods who will guarantee the Springboks would win on this day of the world. Gods who... That's just a joke. God has told me we'll win, so it's fine. No, but they had all these... I jest, but they had all these gods for different moments. And they had this one god they built out of stone and wood and clay. And they fashioned it, and they called it Mammon. And this was a God that was a God over their wealth and provision. So the people would, uh, would come in, in, in moments when they would sacrifice to this God to make sure that they would be provided for. This uh, sacrificing to this Babylonian God. So you can imagine when uh, they're saying this, and that, that Babylonian time was the time of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but this was 600 or so years before. Now they've moved on, and this is now in enlightened Jerusalem, and Jesus is saying the statement. And when Jesus uses the word mammon, He's not saying it because these, the Pharisees and the people who are listening had dragged home replicas of a literal image. He's not saying that. I, I, can, I can even imagine in that moment, they're probably going, what, who do you think we are? We are we're not those old, we're not people from Babylon times. We've, we are, we're here, Jerusalem people, we're Pharisees. We serve the one true God. What are you saying about this thing? We don't have statues at home. And that's why it so riled them up in Luke 16 with the similar account. It says they got so worked up about this that they ridiculed Jesus. But actually, Jesus was saying, use the word mammon, because he has said their eyes and their hearts had been corrupted. If you keep reading on, you just read literally through the text, that he says, man cannot serve God and mammon. The very next thing he says, he starts talking about worry, anxiety, fear, and lack of trust about provision. So what he is saying in that moment, he's saying, the symptoms of serving mammon is worry, fear, lack, and and mistrust. You see, the cripple, the people of God had become crippled in that day with anxiety, worry, stress, and fear because of this moment. And I don't think it's a far stretch to pull that story from that age into our story. Sorry. You see, mammon is a spirit that takes what is supposed to serve the kingdom of God and instead makes us slaves that serve it. Stick with me. Mammon, untamed and unrecognized, demands much but delivers very little. You see, we, we don't, see, we just like the Pharisees. We're like, no, we're highly enlightened. Let's not go down these tracks. Okay? We're enlightened. We've moved on. But these are Jesus' words, not mine. 
we're Jesus people, so we take what he says and we try and we do, we don't try and put our our culture onto him and say, no, no, Jesus, we don't think you meant what you meant. No, this is what Jesus said. We try and say, how does this invade our culture? When Jesus said mammon, he was not addressing an idol or even the physical representation. He was saying this is a spiritual thing. Mammon is the physical representation of the spirit of fear and greed colliding. It's the spiritual representation of excess and la- uh, excess and lack colliding. Let me help you here in this moment. I'll get there. But let me tell you, ask the question. I'm the first to put up my hand. When you think about money, when you think about paychecks, when you think about bills, when you think about that speeding fine, you're like, well, how did that get you? Mostly my wife. Anyway, let's move on. Um, <laughs> it's not true. It is not true. When, when you have that with a curveball about your cars, uh, the, the things you need to fix, the tires you need to put on, the, that bill that you didn't suspect, when you start thinking about the bonus that wasn't paid, does anxiety, worry, stress, fear start to grip your heart? Does mine. I want to say to you, mammon is knocking at our doors, seeking to devour us. And let me tell you, the, the b- biblical uh, understanding of this thing is that actually the spirit of mammon, the way it operates in our lives, it operates like a python. It doesn't represent that, I'm here! Don't tell me, oh, if it was an idol God, I'm definitely not going with that, I'm going with God, thank you. But it comes like a python, slowly suffocates the life out of us. And let me tell you, that thinking, if I'm honest in my heart, that thinking of being suffocated under the pressure of the grip of finances or the lack thereof, I know that feeling all too well. Of, will, I, will I make it? What will I do? How will I make this? How will this happen? We've all felt it. But I want to say, as we read the story, this isn't G- Jesus meek and mild. This is Jesus at war for our hearts and for our eternity. So I want to ask you, if you, like me, want to live in God's peace in this area, you, you want to live in God's provision, and you want your life to count for more than just the month-to-month existence, living from pay to pay, paycheck to paycheck, but live for an eternal story with your wealth and your treasures and your money, we need to go to war. And I really believe this morning I'm going to war. I'm, I have filled with faith that we are going to war this morning, and that God is going to break strongholds in our life, and our lives will be different if we respond in faith this morning. Have you got faith in your heart? To the six of you, I say, let's do this. <laughs> Bible says this, man cannot serve both God and mammon. So I want to help us. This is a polarizing message. It's a polarizing moment. But I believe if we take on the stand at the right moment, God will do things that we've never imagined in our lives. There are three imperatives if we are to be free of mammon's grip. Three imperatives. Number one is we need a new perspective. I do this every week and I'll, I'll do it again. But Genesis 1 reminds us that the story opens with a God who introduces the Creator, the Almighty, the Elohim, the, 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 the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the, the Ancient of Days, introduces Himself in relationship with humanity as a provider. Before humanity has done anything, it says, God says, He creates and He says, and we bless you. God blesses humanity and then says, be fruitful and multiply, take dominion and subdue the planet. Basically, He says, Welcome to the world. He has the keys to the universe. Yours. This is a far cry from the view of a God who's holding out, who's stingy, who's having to, you have to get the right formula to open up his generous heart. No, no, this is a far cry. When page one of the Bible says, I am a provider. This is the God that we see. And I've said it again and again. We were made for blessing and bigness. Page one of the Bible. You don't have to read very far to get a gist of this. That actually God designed you and I, humanity, to be made for his blessing and his bigness. 
But Genesis 3 is not far on the heels of that. And the second preacher arrives on the narrative, and the first thing he says to, to Eve and Adam in that moment is he basically paraphrases, says this, they actually says, yeah, God's given you everything, but God is still holding out on you. And the spirit of mammon is sown into the heart of humanity because in that moment, even though they had everything, their eyes get distorted from everything to the one thing they do not have. Their eyes get turned to their lack and their greed. I don't have that, but I want it. And the spirit of mammon is sowed into the heart of humanity. I don't have, but I want. And mammon distorts the image of God. That's why Jesus was relentless against us. He wasn't uh, on some financial crusade. No, Jesus was after the correct representation of his father. They were distorting the image of God because mammon reduces humanity to a people moved by base lusts and greeds rather than eternal purpose. You see, mammon gets us to live with the corruption of our eyes and not the conviction of our hearts. It is so good, I'll say it again. Mammon gets us to live with the corruption of our eyes rather than the conviction of our hearts. We see it last week, Genesis 3. In that moment when the enemy said, God is holding out on you, first thing Eve does is Eve opened her eyes and she saw that the fruit was good. And then the next little paraphrase says, and once she took a bite of the fruit, her eyes were opened and she saw she was naked. Her eyes got distorted. A brand new perspective shift was happened as the enemy put a new lens on her eyes to not see God's goodness, but to see her lack and her deficit. Diverted from God's goodness. You see, and this is why we had war. And I say this, maybe you're not, you have not grown up in church, so this moment will fly over your head. But I have to help us that this is why we are at war with something called the prosperity gospel. It's, it's incongruent with the gospel. Because the prosperity gospel reduces God to a heavenly butler, or at best a heavenly formula that says, if you do this and this, it's health and wealth now. It actually, the prosperity gospel actually feels the spirit of mammon. It feels that actually I want this, I need that, so I'm going to name it and claim it based on what I do. And it feels the spirit of mammon. Always needing more. And actually I've said it again and again, it turns Father God into the Godfather. The provider becomes someone that I can negotiate with and become someone mean and tight-fisted that's somehow holding out of me. But if I just give enough, if I just do the right dance, if I just say the right prayer, then he might release his hand of blessing towards me. He's not the father. He's not the Godfather. He's Father God. And this is what the Pharisees had done. They had reduced God, and Jesus was going to war on this. You see, we need to know and understand this, and I pray that this smashes our thinking because we have to get a glimpse, a new perspective of God because God's hand was outstretched towards humanity in page one of the Bible before humanity had done anything, and he has not retracted his hand since. If you want to know the posture of the Father, it's this. At no time has he retracted his hand. So much so, even in Genesis 3, when they sinned, the first response of the father was him to go in pursuit of them, saying, where are you, Adam? And he clothed their nakedness. Provider, page one before their sin. Provider, page three after their sin. He has provided all the way through, so much so, that he calls himself Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord is our provider. So this is something, this is huge. This is not just what God does. This is who he is. This is his nature. He is a provider. This is so huge because actually all the way through Scripture, you cannot get away from it. In Genesis 22, he's providing a lamb in the thicket. In the book of Exodus, we see him providing a deliverer for the people in Egypt. In the wilderness, he's providing manna and quail and clothes that don't wear out in the, in the wilderness. Then he's providing a land of milk and honey for the people called the promised land. He's providing at every juncture. You read Psalm 23. It tells us that even in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our enemies, he's providing and preparing a feast for us. 
He even goes on in Psalm 23 and says, Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The, the great theologian Charles Spurgeon said that text should be bear rendered that your goodness and mercy will hound me, will dog me, will seek me out all the days of my life. This is not a mean and tight-fisted God. And I love that scripture when it says, and all the days of my life. Can I say to you, sir, ma'am, all the days include all the days. Mondays are included in all the days. His goodness and mercy pursue you. Paydays, retrenchment days, load-shedding days. The goodness and mercy of God is not circumstantial. It is a promise from a provider. You see, this is so huge and so much so. Psalm 2, Jesus says this. It says, ask of me and I'll make the nations your inheritance. He's not going back on his promise. Genesis 1 is one promise. He's not going, oh, well, you messed that one up. Bad luck, guys. He's still as a father inviting, ask of me. I'll make the nations your inheritance. You were made for blessing and bigness, sir, ma'am. Don't let the spirit of the age dumb us down and call us, settle us down in this moment of just what we can get, just what I can provide, just what I need for the next day. No, he's called us to live with an eternal perspective of him. In the New Testament, he says this, if your fathers, though they are evil, know how to give good gifts, surely how much more? Can you say how much more? How much more? You know, you didn't say it there. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? This is the father, a good father. In Ephesians 1, he says he has blessed us. In my Bible, I've underlined blessed because it's in the past tense. It is done. He's not waiting circumstantially and saying, I will bless you. He said, I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is the Father. He goes on in the one Peter tells us he has eternal, uh, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And actually it says in the Psalm says he has eternal pleasures at his right hand forevermore prepared for us. John 14 tells us he's gone ahead and prepared a place for you and I in eternity. He's got our past covered. He covers us in our sin. He provides for us in our brokenness. He provides for us every single day. And he said, I'll even provide for your eternal destination. He is the provider and his wings cover your whole life. I want to say, he's not against you. He is not holding out on you. He is lavishly and outrageously for you. Can you say one more time with me? I was made for blessing. I was made for bigness. We need a new perspective. Secondly, we need a new practice. You see, Jesus, on the back of this, it's a text saying man cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. He talks about the worry, he talks about the, 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 the things that flow out of serving mammon and anxiety and fear and crippling lack. But then he gives us a weapon in Matthew 6 verse 33 of the way we're supposed to respond. See how beautifully Jesus, he's a master teacher. He said, here's the problem, you cannot serve God and mammon. You got, you got to choose. If you choose the one way, here is the symptoms of what, how even unbelievers, this is how unbelievers think, and people who serve mammon get crippled with anxiety, fear, worry, lack, and get consumed with the here and now. Then he said, but don't worry, I haven't left you without a solution. Here's the solution. Seek first the kingdom of God. He's a masterful teacher. You see, here's the understanding I want to say to you. The spirit of mammon is taken down by generosity. Why? Because I give because I am blessed. When you start with a new perspective, we're not giving out of our lack. We're not giving out of our deficit. We're giving out of his riches and the revelation of his goodness. I'm not giving out of the, the, the shallowness of my pocket. I'm giving out the deep depth of his pocket. Let me help us here. Let's walk our way through it very quickly. In a different lens from last week, this text says this. It says, seek. The first word in that narrative says, seek. 
That's a passionate pursuit. I want to say, it's, I don't know, even when I mention the word generosity or money, in most rooms, like mo, mo, often what will happen, people are like going, yeah, gee, God is good and eternity and live for Jesus. And instead, let's talk about money. Everyone goes, Wah! and a tightness comes on people. Have you ever noticed that? In most churches, you're like, we go, oh, no, 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 no. You, you can speak about all that. Don't touch that thing. Can I say, that would be the spirit of mammon is operating our hearts because that thing's not up for God, grabs. That's mine. Just a, just a thought. That's what happened to the Pharisees. That's why in, in Luke 16, they, they rallied against him because they, they were notorious for being lovers of money. You can come with your new teachings, but don't you dare touch our, our display of wealth. Don't you dare display of the way that we make this thing happen. You see, generosity, when I say seek, is not a, some passive religious exercise for rich people. We always love to do that. You know, when I have more. When I, when, when I get, and I've done it many times, I want to say it's a fight. This is war. And I've told this story a thousand times, and this is the second last time I'll tell it. The last time will be next week. You have to be here next week for the culmination of the story. You have to be here next week. You don't want to miss out next week. Oh, you guys, it's going to be a great Sunday. Sunday's going to be good as well. But when I was leaving, coming to Cape Town, I couldn't, I was thinking, how am I going to live? How am I going to get transport? How am I going to do this? A family came to me and they said, actually, we're going to give you our car. And I remember they gave me the car a week before I moved down here and I was blown away and I, I, I didn't understand the economics of the moment or the, of that decision. But I remember thinking, they must be super rich. People to give away a car. How rich. Wow. One day. And I remember saying, one day when I'm rich, I'll give away a car. Years went by. Last year, October, Two months out before I would finished my last payment on my Hyundai i20, and I was already planning what that that extra money would do in our bank account. I thought, finally, the pressure that I've been feeling, the stress and the the squeeze, anxiety, the worries that I've been feeling will be released when I finish my last payment. Then we'll have excess. Then I'll be able to breathe. But I didn't recognize the spirit of mammon was holding me. Not another payment. But in October, my wife left the service just like this. Be careful, Milton worship. God will speak to you. Leaving in the car, my wife says, God, God spoke to me today, Gabe. And I'm like, you are a Proverbs 31 woman. Just, I love you, Fee. Tell me, did he speak about me? Did he say, commend you for the good choice you made and a husband? She's like, yeah, that, but he also said, uh, we must give away our car once we've paid, done the final payment. So I'm like, cool. Just listen to radio. And I said, yes, outwardly, but I want to tell you for the next two months, I, and I started to understand this, I started to read these passages, that actually I, I was at war with the spirit of mammon, had been rattled in my heart. Because all of a sudden I'm going, but actually God, I started to reason, we, we lend that car to be your God, we, we, we are, we generous with that car, God, we, you know, but you know, we could give lifts to people, actually, God, we're getting another kid, it doesn't make sense, it's, surely this goes against all sense of wisdom, right now, do, right now, do this, we're about to have a second kid, and, oh, and that car, what about the other car, God? No, no, this car, I'm like, oh, goodness, goodness gracious me. So I found somebody that I needed to tell, God, I thought, let me tell someone that I can't go back on it, hoping the person would say, that's not wise, Gabe. I'll be honest. Told the person, and they said, that is awesome. I'm like, yeah, it is. I'm so thrilled about it. I tell you, the moment in January when we gave the keys of the car to somebody, and it blessed their life, no doubt. But I said it, and it wasn't echo, because it wasn't hollow by the time I got there, because God allowed God to do something. But it was, it was war in my heart. It was a passionate pursuit in my heart, saying, in that moment, will I serve God, or will I serve mammon? What makes sense? And mammon disguises itself as sensibility, but it started to squeeze the life out of me. And as I did, I said, actually, this is a bigger blessing 
to me than you. And I know people say that. It sounds hollow. But it was so true in my heart because I promise you, as soon as I did it, I was like, it felt like the grip of mammon had been released from my life. And joy and peace started to flood in my heart. So much so, Fee and I ran home and I was like, let's give away the fridge. Come on, just hand out things. We're like, let's do this thing. Why? Because the grip of mammon is broken when we are generous. Because it's a passionate pursuit. Because it responds to our Genesis 1 father whose hand has always outstretched us. Outrageously so. It says seek. Secondly though, it says seek first. You see, we have a passionate pursuit, but there's also a persistent priority. You see, in this narrative, Jesus calls us to do something first. Not something in response to what we have left over but to respond in trust to him. You see, as believers, as Christ was, as people who have a heavenly father who is for us, not holding out on us, we are people who are not bound by the the economies of this world. Let me tell you, we are people whose blessing, provision, and increase does not come from mammon. That's why, Jesus, when he talks about it, if you read the prior verses in Matthew 6, he talks about these, he gives him three secret weapons. And this hurt the Pharisees because this was hitting them in the heart of everything. They, this is the antithesis of what they did. He says three secret we- weapons. He says, these are three things you must do in secret. Pray in secret. Fast in secret. Third, he says, and give in secret. Because you see, even with me giving away a car, mammon is so, uh, the spirit of mammon once again, they say, oh, you did so well. Well done. And it puts me at the center of the story. But actually, those moments, we all want outrageous generosity, but I tell you, outrageous generosity is fueled by a seeking first, a persistent priority. Because otherwise, if we just go waiting for the inspiration, the moment to be generous, we are then at, we are at the women bowing down to mammon. When you release me, I'll give mammon. When actually, we are people who pull our hearts into the war of saying, actually, I respond in a different way. You see, this is why uh, in this moment, uh, the pow- there's a powerful thing. I really believe it, and, and I don't think we understand it. There's a powerful spiritual warfare moment that happens every week at church. A, a powerful spiritual warfare moment where actually the, the spirit of mammon and God and the spirit of the kingdom of God collide in this church every week. It's a moment when the offering bucket goes round. And many of us have debased and put it such a, oh, the church asking for money, let's put some, oh, put whatever I got, oh, let it go. I'm saying it's a spiritual moment where we are going to war in that moment. And the reason why is because it's not about the amount. It's, Jesus never spoke about amount. He always says the priority of the heart. Every time he spoke about money, he's never spoke mentioned the amount. He spoke about the priority of the heart. You see, when I was on a mission trip to Zimbabwe about five, six years ago, we went into the rural areas where there was extreme poverty. People walked for miles to get there, and we had this church service. And then I remember I cringed when at this church service they said we're going to take up an offering. I'm like, no, everything is time because I'm like, no, I've got, I've got, I'm Western logic. I'm like, no, don't do that. As trying to free them from a spiritual warfare moment. I'm wanting to say, no, no, don't do, don't ask them to give anything. But because they had revelation, they give out of, because they're blessed, not out of their lack. So actually, I witnessed something so profound that day. As the offering basket went by, some people gave some money in, some people gave things. There was about three or four ladies who looked the poorest of the poor. And as the bucket came, they stopped, held the bucket, they put their hands in, they pulled out nothing. But in faith, they were praying, and they went like this, put their hand in like this. I thought, what is happening there? It's not about an amount, it's about the priority of the heart. They were saying, Jesus... I'm giving in faith. I don't know. I want to stress it out, but I want to challenge us. Don't let that moment just pass us by. 
Don't let it just pass us by. Come prepared to that moment. And I've started to take the moment, even whether I'm giving on, uh, in, in, in a cash form that moment or not. I am, every time the bucket comes out, the last few months I've been making a decision that actually I'm going to hold the bucket and say, Jesus, this is a moment where I'm going to war against mammon. Whether I'm, g- I'm giving in this moment or not, I'm saying, I serve God and not mammon. I serve God and not the pressures of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and the bottom line. I serve God. And imagine if a church, a community start to respond, uh, uh, an underground resistance start to respond against the economies of this day, the economies that say recession, all this. But there's a church, a people who are responding at a spiritual warfare level, saying not determined by how much I'm giving, but my heart is responding to a provider. You see, the New Testament charge in this war, Jesus, Paul speaks, the Apostle Paul, all taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. He says this, our giving must be consistent. You see, the first thing that I do every month Jesus says, seek first, 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 first. Not when you've worked out everything else, but actually I'm going to walk first, not based on mammon's grip on me, but based on the hold of the provider on me. I'm going to give first. And consistent, the first thing that Fiona and I do every month is that we, we give of our, we give financially to the kingdom of God. And we've got it on as an EFT we set up, but I haven't just set it up that just recurringly goes off without me knowing. I make sure that every month on the first of the month I stand there and I press send. But I tell you, in the last eight, nine months, since, we, since the beginning of the year, I start every time I do, I saying, God, this is me going to war against mammon. This is me going to war against mammon because my heart will not serve, it cannot serve God and mammon. I have to make a choice. And as I do it, it's a warfare moment that's reclaiming it. And actually, the Bible says it's also going to be sacrificial. It's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. People of God sacrificing. And the possible says, decide in your heart what you are to give. That, I love that word, Decide. That means make a decision. Don't leave it up to airy fairy. Don't leave it up to emotions. Don't leave it up to mammon who's going to decide. Don't leave it up to your boss if he's going to pay you the full amount. Don't leave it up to if business is going to be good. Make a decision in my heart what I'm going to give and say I'm responding to you, Jesus, not to the world. And says cheerful, not under compulsion or reluctance. God loves a cheerful giver, but with joy. Can I tell you? If anxiety, worry, fear are gripping our hearts and generosity busted open, can I tell you? Generous people are the most joyful people. And the most joyful people, you just scratch below the surface, the most generous people. And if you are, if you ever feel under compulsion, please do not give. If you ever feel it's a religious duty, don't do it. But seek first. Make a decision and give. Finally, it says there in that moment, it says, seek first, it says where? The kingdom of God, a prevailing power. Quickly, I just want to say, link your money to eternity. It doesn't say seek first this thing or that organization or this moment. The kingdom of God. Can I tell you, Luke 6, I don't have time to dig in, to go read, read Luke 16, when Jesus is speaking. He mentions mammon four times in that text there. But he says in that moment, he says, our giving here reaps eternal souls. Luke 16, 9. That when we give on this side of eternity, that actually, it's that thing. When we take money, which is neutral, but say, I'm going to serve into the kingdom of God, that money works for the kingdom of God. It also tells us that it releases true authority. Luke 16, 11. He says, if you are untrustworthy with unrighteous mammon, who will trust you with eternal riches? This is, this is Jesus. This is not me. So we've got there. We've got a new, pers- new perspective. We've got a new, pr- a new practice. And finally, we've got a new provision as we land. The scripture, I love how it lands. It says, seek first the king of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Jesus' words, not a prosperity preacher. This is Jesus. You see, there's a promise to the people who pick up a new perspective and a new practice. But it's not like a, a carrot dangling in front of you that's forever out of your reach. You see, who was saying this? 
was a man named Jesus Christ, who was the word from the beginning. Jesus, who was the in Genesis 1, who was the one who had his hand outstretched to humanity. Jesus, the word incarnate made flesh, is now teaching, reminding them people of what life should be, the way, new way to be human. And he is saying, I am the representation, I'm the father, I'm the provider, but I've also come to be the provision. This is the genius of Christianity. The provider said, I'm also going to become the provision. This is so huge for you and I because John 3.16, often quoted in church, but I think so often can lose its, its, its profound nature towards us. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whomever may believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. You see, if you read that scripture very differently, we see God with a passionate pursuit. He's so loved. He was motivated by a passion. He saw, he, he tells that he's seeking worshippers. He's seeking out the lost. He's seeking out, he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave his best, not his spare, not, ah, there's 12 sons up here in heaven. I think I can spare one of them for a while. No, he had the jewel of heaven. He gave Jesus Christ to humanity. But the amazing thing that's so profound, it says, so that whoever may believe in him will have eternal life. God himself linked his generosity to eternal rewards. It wasn't for an immediate, right now I'm driven. It was no driven nature. It wasn't driven out of, I'm so moved by the need of humanity. No, he was driven of the love of his heart. This is so profound. And the moment happens, actually the whole thing is that Jesus died. Now I, I want to just redeem this word for us because so often, I want to tell you, Jesus died. He didn't expire of old age. He didn't get hit by a bus. Scripture tells us he died by giving up his life willingly. He laid his life down. He gave up his life. So much so, it'll be last scripture on the screen. Romans 8.32 says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You see, Jesus went to war in our sinful and rebellious hearts. The way he did that was with ultimate generosity and sacrifice. I want to say, sir, ma'am, this is how anxiety, fear, worry, lack, and the spirit of mammon is broken. It's not with a prosperity gospel, and it's not with a poverty gospel that God is somehow holding out on us. I want to tell you, it's by the gospel. A new perspective, a new glimpse of who our provider is and who we are, that we belong to his kingdom. So therefore, we respond and trust with a new practice, but knowing also in faith that there will be a new provision on the other side of that. In this life and in eternity. You see, sir, ma'am, you and I were created for bigness and blessing. But I want to say, as Jesus did, he drew a line in the sand. We cannot serve God and mammon. Let's go to war together today. That the spirit of greed, the spirit of fear, the spirit of anxiety and worry is coming down. And that we'll be a people who respond with a different economy, a different response and a different source. Can we stand to our feet, please? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. He's not holding out on you. He's not tight-fisted. He is your provider. And in response to that, we are called to be a generous people. Right now in this room, I sense the, the profound nature of this moment of you have been gripped unwittingly, unknowingly, by the spirit of mammon. It's manifest in worry and fear and anxiety around your lack and, and driven you to do things, to, to, to have sleepless nights around that, that bank account, about that business, about that moment. But you're saying, actually, I want to say, plug into a different source and say, I'm, I'm trusting you, God. 
If you, like me, are wanting to pray that and bring the spirit of mammon down to its knees this morning, why don't you start by raising your hands with me? I thank you for an alternative community that meets here. A community, Jesus, not based on the economies of this world, based on recessions or the bottom line, but an economy that's based on heaven's generosity towards us. I thank you even right now, Father God, that the spirit of lack and poverty is coming down. We've always been driven. We we just don't have enough. I thank you, Father, that you're the God of abundance and more than enough because it's who you are. Jesus, I pray this. I thank you that because of Jesus, you have opened the heavens. You're not waiting for another sacrifice. You're not waiting for another gift. You're not waiting for another offering. You have, you have opened the heavens because of the greatest gift, the greatest sacrifice, the greatest offering, Jesus Christ. You have withheld nothing to us. So I pray right now on the basis of open heaven reality, would you open the eyes of our hearts to see you? Where our eyes have been distorted, give us clearer vision. I pray God right now in response to that, would you open our hands to say that we trust you? consistently, sacrificially, cheerfully. And I pray, Father God, over every single heart, every single family, every single life, that they would know the provision of the Lord. Here, but ultimately, in eternity, when we look back on this moment and say, I'm so glad I knew that I did not bow my knee to the idol of the day. I thank you, Father, you set your people free. In Jesus' name.